Glad you're at Waypoint this morning. My name is Blair. I'm one of the pastors here, and I've discovered that I probably should let you know what's going on. Um, during the summer, we're going to mess around with how we set up the tables and stuff. So don't panic. Don't. Um, oddly enough, what that represents is we're having a lot of serious conversations about the direction of this ministry throughout the summer. And so we're going to play around with a lot of things as we make some big decisions. And so I'd ask you to pray for us because there's a lot of important stuff right on the horizon for us. We're wrestling with it right now. And when you see us moving stuff around, we're trying things because there's stuff in the background that's affecting that. So that's going on. Uh, Just be good sports about it. I think it'll be fine. I want to let you know what's going to happen at Waypoint over the next month at least. Next week, we're serving communion. We try to do that once a quarter, and, uh, and actually I think we're going to see some of that added because as Chandler comes on, he's running tech today for us, but as he comes on, he has a desire to do some worship nights, and I think communion will be a part of that, that you'll be able to um, partake of that a little more often. But if you love that, if you want to be a part of that, I, I'd ask you to come back next week. We're going to talk about a section of scripture that's attached uh, to communion that I've, I haven't heard talked about a lot. In fact, I, when I read over it, uh, preparing for this, I didn't remember that it was there. And it's uh, some really interesting stuff, and I think the morning will be worth your time. Uh, the week after that is Graduation Sunday, and if you've been here for that, you already know how important that is, how valuable that is. Uh, we, we honor our seniors, and the reason we do that is most cultures around the, around the world have some sort of rite of passage where when you move from childhood to adulthood, there's this thing that you do with your community or your family that's recognized as, hey, now you're an adult. And we, we really don't have anything like that here in our culture. The closest we have is high school graduation. And so we want to give you an opportunity uh, to come up here and speak some words of blessing into your kids' lives. And if you've seen it, you'll know it's great. There are some students, some parents, who don't want to do this because it's nerve-wracking. It's worth the five minutes of stress it'll put you through. The feedback from the students that we've gotten is to have that blessing from their parents like that has marked them. And so if you've been nervous, if you're a student, you just have to stand here. You know, the pressure's not even on you. You just have to look beautiful, right? And you can put the pressure on your parents. That'd be fun to watch, okay? So I, we, uh, we won't like approach you and twist your arm, but if you haven't heard from Mike Griggs yet, and, or you haven't told Mike, yes, we're in, maybe you've heard from him, but you haven't communicated back, he's only counting on you if you communicate back. So make sure you uh, get in line. We'd love to have you participate in that. We think it's really special. After that, the next two weeks, we're doing a mini-series. We, we tend to do four- and five-week series. Some of them are a little bit longer, like the one we're doing right now, when we feel like the content's uh, too much to cram in in a short time. Maybe we need to push it out a little bit further. The problem with long series is people don't come to church regularly very often. And so they'll miss here and there and then feel like they get lost in the process. And so the summer, that's even worse. People are going on vacation and doing things. And so we're going to try some two-week series. And the one that we're going to do in June, we had an idea for nine months ago. And, uh, and we were going we to uh, talk about it uh, as we got close to the election, and and then I remember this conversation in the staff meeting. It went something like this. I'm going to paraphrase. Um, tackling a hot topic, that's great. It catches people's attention. Tackling something that's nuclear, that's dumb, and we shouldn't do this. And so we said, 
We'll wait for six months. Everything will calm down and then we'll do it then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our wisdom on display, but here's the deal. It doesn't look like it could calm down for four years, so we're just going to do it. And my desire in doing, um, you see it there, the divided states of America, is not to get anybody angry. I, in fact, from what I can tell, um, a lot of people already are, and I'm, I'm not trying to tweak that. I think there's some stuff uh, from a biblical perspective that could cause us uh, to take the tone down a little bit. And that, that's what I'm going for. I want to kind of uh, bring that to us. So if you want to come and watch a train wreck two weeks in June, it'll be fun, okay? But before we get to, before we get to the next month of stuff, I want to finish up this series strong. We've been doing a series called Little White Lies where we've been talking about these little things that make it into our lives. They don't seem like they're uh, that big of a deal. They tend to have a little element of truth to them or a light. They seem right. They seem good. It seems sensible that we would accept that in. The problem is a lie is a lie. And when it gets set up in your life, over time, these little ones grow into something big that shapes your life, impacts the way you make choices and um, really can steer you and guide you at times. And so we've been spending time on some big ones that are a part of our lives. And this morning, I think the one that we're going to talk about, you're going to recognize it quickly. You're going to go, oh, yeah. And it's almost, it's almost a little bit of a joke in our culture um, because it's so prevalent. It's kind of funny. And, and in some cases, I get, the, I get the joking that goes with it. And you may think, well, if, if we're so aware of it, if it's kind of a joke for us, then maybe it's not a big deal. And I would say, in, in the place that we joke around with it, the place that we can easily identify this lie, for many people, it doesn't cause massive amounts of harm. For some, it does. The problem is, we've gotten comfortable with it in this area of our life that we joke about it with, that sometimes it survives long enough to steal itself into other parts of our lives. And when it gets into those areas, the damage that's done is unbelievable. So I want to introduce uh, this lie this morning with a song. Uh, they're they're going to play a, a pretty funky song. I hadn't heard it before. But it has, uh, in the middle of this song, the lie, and actually one of the areas that it attaches to sneakily. Like not, it's not the one that we easily identify. It's the one that kind of bleeds into because we've kept it around for a while. I want to see if you can identify it as you listen to this. I had never heard that song before. Trish sent it to my desk to check out for this weekend. Uh, I thought the music was creative. I thought the lyrics were great. And there's a lot of truth to it. I, I've got issues. Uh, I suspect you do too. And embedded in the middle of that song, in the chorus, was a little line that said, One of mine is how bad I need you. And that, uh, that is the little white lie that I want to mess around with today. These things that we identify in our lives as a need. Here's the lie. It's a need. I, I need this. And from what I can tell, our needs are narrow, but our wants are wide. We have lots of wants. And uh, the problem sometimes is that we identify our wants as a need. 
and pursue it like a need, and it can really cause problems for our life. Some of the reasons that we do that, I think we have a really unhealthy opinion of wants. I've talked to a lot of people, and it seems like almost uh, to a person, I think maybe this happens in the church setting quite a bit, people have assumed that to want anything is to somehow be selfish in some way. So to express a want or desire like that is somehow wrong, out of bounds, and people don't do it. I've been in conflicts with people where you've looked at somebody and said, okay, let's get to the bottom line. Tell me what you want. And their answer back is, I don't know. And they're serious. They're not stalling or anything like that. They've never, they've never considered what it is they wanted in the first place. They know they're upset. They know they're uptight. But there's almost this thing when it comes to wants that we've assumed that we should ignore them, that we should suppress them, that we should avoid them because they're somehow wrong. I, I actually um, think they're not. And I want to take you to a section of Scripture where uh, some really wise man who was inspired by God wrote some stuff down about this. Uh, if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Ecclesiastes, I want to talk to you a little bit about Solomon. I, I, want, I want to get a healthy understanding of want. Uh, because if we have that in place, then maybe we can work off of this thing and, and back into the need thing. Uh, uh, Solomon is about to say uh, something that's good, which is kind of rare for him. He says this in verse 18 of chapter 5. He says, this is what I have ver- observed to be good. And if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll find that he doesn't find much that's good. In fact, he looks around and he looks at human nature and he goes, there's a lot of bad, there's a lot of junk in our world. It's like two thumbs down on this sort of thing. So the fact that he finds anything that's good, we should pay attention to. And he goes on to and he says this. This is what I think is good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor. By the way, you're going you're gonna to hear his words. He, he is kind of a negative nanny here. He's like, um, in their toilsome labor under the sun, during the few days that God has given them. And then he ends it with this, for that is their lot. It's almost like, listen, the best that you can do with your miserable life is to on occasion find a moment of satisfaction, to eat some good food and drink, and to have some satisfaction in your life. Now, listen. Jesus will eventually say, you could store up your treasures in heaven. It's not just moments here that you're looking for to satisfy you. There are bigger things that you could give your life to that are valuable and important. But he's making him, he's not done. And he's going to make a really important point here. In verse 19, it goes on. He says, moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, To accept their lot and to be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. Now, if you're thinking for a second that what Solomon is endorsing is somehow you should have as much stuff and as much wealth as you can, and that will bring you happiness and enjoyment, you should go read the rest of Ecclesiastes. The eight verses that lead up to this, he makes it very clear that is not what he's saying you should put your hope in. 
In fact, those, those things um, could lead to your ruin if you're not careful with how you work with them. That's not his point. What he's saying is it is okay for you to pursue things with your life, with the hard work that you do, that causes you to enjoy them, that gives you satisfaction. It's okay for you to want that kind of stuff and to pursue it and to actually enjoy it when you get it. That that is a gift from God into your life. He frees you to kind of pursue those things and, and grab a hold of them. Let's use, let's use one of the examples that he brought up in here. Because I want you to understand that when he's talking about this desire to want some things that you can have satisfaction and enjoyment in, I think there's something really positive that comes with it being a want. Uh, he brought up food. What happens when you want food? If you're like me, you eat it, right? You eat it all, and then you look for seconds, and that's a problem. Because if it's a want, there's an opportunity for me to evaluate if I should eat that food or not. Have I had enough food to eat? Is this the kind of food that I want to eat? Does this break a commitment that I had for the amount of food that I would eat or the kind of food that I would eat? When you have a want, you can evaluate that want. You can say, is this good? Would this honor God? Is this helpful for me? And you can evaluate that all day long. And you can come to a decision where that thing that you want, you won't pursue. Because based on how you evaluated it, it didn't end up being the best thing for you. Maybe I'm not going to eat that second helping of food. Because I've evaluated it. And I've realized it's just a want. I'm going to pass on that. But what happens? What happens if you look at the stuff in your life that you want, that are many, that's wide, right? The things that you want are wide. And instead of accepting that they're wants, maybe you feel guilty about having a want. You don't want it to be that. So instead, you identify it as a need. See, if it's a need in your life, there's not much need for evaluation why do I have to stop and think about it? Why do I have to ask if it's good? Why do I have to ask if it's right? Of course it would honor God. It's a need that I have. And so you pursue that thing that you need without any checks and balances. And our needs are narrow. There's just a few of them. And yet we cram all kinds of stuff into our need. I bet you right now you're, you're easily identifying where we do this in our country a lot. I suspect everybody in here has done this in one way or the other. Have you ever made a purchase in your life, like you bought something, and it was a want, but you told everybody, including yourself, that it was a need? You knew it wasn't, but you bought it anyway. Here, this is where I think, I think this is so prevalent that we've all done this. So I'm going to ask you to have a little table talk this morning, and somebody's going to have to have the guts to answer the question first and to kind of reveal your hand, yeah, I've done this. But I want to make sure you introduce yourself to each other and then answer this question on the screen. Have you ever purchased anything where you said, this is a need? And you knew it wasn't. You knew it was a want. Maybe you're wearing it right now, right? Okay? So why don't you do that around your tables real fast? Has any, have you ever purchased anything under this 
I need it. I need it. Okay. Wow. The room got noisy. Why is that? Yeah, because you know, we've all, we've all done this. I, I, did, I did some of this when I was younger. I, not small purchases either. I mean, stuff I look back on and I really regret. I think I purchased one of those, um, how you can be uh, a landlord and flip home things. When I was younger, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And I spent all the money on it. I was like, I'm not going to ever do this. This is nuts. I wish I could get my money back. And yet, um, when I got that, I told Tracy I needed it. Right? I really needed that. Now listen, we all joke about the money thing because we all do it in light ways. I need that dessert. I need that sort of thing. And and for many of us, it stays that kind of light thing. It doesn't wreck your life. I I was... uh, I was reading a financial blog this week about a couple in New York City that were lamenting how they were having to live paycheck to paycheck on their measly wages of $500,000 a year. And I know. And they put their budget online with this line that basically said, I don't think you could do much better. So I looked at it and I thought, I think I could do much better. Right? In fact... Uh, just a quick look at it, I figured out based on taxes and what they were doing with childcare and one other thing with meals, they would be better off if one of them quit their job. That, I mean, just, just basic math I was running right there. But here's the problem. In their lives, everything in that budget they had identified as a need, they needed the $1.5 million apartment that they were living in, not the $800,000 one. They're digging a hole. And down the whole list, they just kept digging that hole. And they were going to be in a serious problem. Just because they were. They were living paycheck to paycheck because it was all going out on stuff that they had identified as needs. I'm telling you right now, you could mess around with this in your financial life and end up burying yourself. But for many of us, many of us, it's not that. And we know that. We just, we just play around with it. It's just, I just need this. I say that and I laugh as I do it because I know it's not true. And the problem is, because we let it be in our lives in a light sort of way, it then takes the opportunity to dig in on some other things that aren't funny when they go wrong. Uh, this lie shows up in the way we deal with some emotional needs that we have. And it's difficult. It gets tricky because you really do have some emotional needs. There's no other way around it. I think the church has a hard time digesting that at times, believing that we're emotional creatures. But having emotions is not part of the fall. That didn't come. That was part of how God created you to be. In fact, if you look in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right at the bottom of that, in verse 13, it says three things remain. Love, faith, and hope. And I just, I just want to suggest that you look at that, those three and ask yourself, how many of those have an emotional element to them? Have you looked at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23? Have you looked through that list and asked yourself, 
How much of those have an emotional element to those? There's, there's a lot. There's emotional needs that God built you with, created you with. But here's the incredible news. Those needs are narrow, and God intends to meet those needs as your primary person in your life. It's why the scriptures say, God is love. You need to be loved. And he brings love to you in a way that you couldn't experience any other way from anybody else. At the depths that he brought it to you. And so that need for love can be felt and experienced with God. But what happens in our lives? When we have a bunch of emotional wants and we start identifying them as needs. We do anything to fulfill those. Because it's not that I want that, it's that I need this in my life. I need to do this, and instead of there being a check, instead of you evaluating if this was good, if this is right, if this honors God, if this is the way to go about this emotional need that I have, about asking, is this really a want and not a need in the first place? People give themselves to all kinds of stuff and the the emotional scars that are left in people's lives from pursuing emotional needs that weren't actual needs, untold. Talk to people who said, listen, I, I needed a sense of emotional closeness. I didn't feel that with my wife. So I got on the computer to get that instead. And I cruised all kinds of pornographic sites. Convinced that what I'm doing is just filling a need. Talk to people who are like, why, why, this person, why are you, why are you, like, dating this one person? Because I need to be loved. And, and their choice behind that was to fill an emotional need. And the thing is, God wasn't in the picture And they weren't evaluating whether it was good, right, healthy, true. We're just trying to find a way to deal with our security, to deal with these things that are, they're real. I, I understand we have these emotional needs. But as soon as you change the want into a need, it's a game changer. And the evaluation that we do goes away. There's another area that when you, when you flirt with it over here in the money, and it's just funny, it's just cute, and you keep it around, it can work into something else, too, that I think um, can mess up your whole life. It's about your future. Uh, Tracy and I had an opportunity to go and uh, see Enix commencement two weeks ago. We went to Ball State, and I've been to several uh, commencements, and so I figured I knew what was coming. I, I knew the speech that they were going to give. I was just there to support my son, and I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, the, guy, the guy who gave the speech, um, he was brilliant. I, I, I was preparing this stuff in the background. It was in my mind, and he started talking. I was like, you're, you're doing what I'm going to teach on. Unbelievable. Here's, I'm going to capsulize what he said. He said, listen, some of you students have been here four years, five years, six years, and everybody laughed. But I didn't laugh at that because my son had been there six years and I didn't think it was funny. (laughs) So I was like, that's cute. Let's get on to something else. And he said, and what I hear from you is that you say, 
man, my life is going to get better as soon as I get out of school and get the next job. He goes, but what you don't know is that when you start thinking that way, when you get into the job outside of school, you're going to start thinking that you need the next thing in order to be fulfilled and the next thing to be fulfilled, and the next thing to be fulfilled. And this is a college professor who looked at these kids and said, you could spend your whole life chasing fulfillment, wanting the next thing. And you know how that happens? Because we have loads of wants, but we identify them as needs. And if I really, if I, if I need this now to be satisfied, to be fulfilled then I'm going to do whatever I can to get to that future. And I'll run over whoever's in my way at work. I'll run over my family if I have to so that I can feel fulfilled. And every step you take, you still don't find fulfillment. You still don't find satisfaction. And you still keep reaching for the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And you spend your whole life chasing a future all based on the little white lie that what you really needed was the next big thing. What you really needed was that next change. Next, next. I, you just need this. I, I was shocked to hear him talk to students that way. I thought it was some of the best advice I'd ever heard at a commencement speech. Because I've watched people chase the next thing, never being satisfied, and have destroyed their families in the process. Why? Because I really need this to be fulfilled, to be satisfied with my life. Now here's what's tricky. If, if the needs are narrow and the wants are wide, how do you start identifying? Because some needs are good. The wants aren't bad either. You can have a want because you can evaluate them all day long and you can leave them off to the side or, or follow through on them based on the evaluation that you do. I think it would be healthy for you to have a whole bunch of wants to figure out what God's put in you to do or want to pursue. You have time here on earth to make a difference. What is it that you want? Great question. How you go about fulfilling that, that's a big deal. And how do you figure out if the want that you have has found its way over into the need category. I, th I think I've found um, a way to identify that. Uh, we're going to learn something from the life of a guy who does that very thing. He has a want, but he identifies it as a need, and he even tells us why he does it. So this is going to be good. If you have your Bibles, in 1 Samuel chapter 28... Um, King Saul is coming to the end of his days. And here's what we know up to this point. King Saul has consistently disobeyed God. God says, I want this from you. He, he doesn't do it. God says, don't do this. He does it. And it. Just consistently over and over. And God has gotten to the point where he's like, you know what? I need a leader who loves me. Oh, that's rain. Oh, okay. I thought the air conditioning just went berserk. Anybody have their car windows down? <laughs> Too late. Just stay here. 
Okay, where we, okay. Um, so um, God wants David to take over. But there's a problem. Saul's nearing the end of his life because an army has just set up outside of Israel. They intend to come and conquer Israel. And when Saul's gotten in a pickle before, what he's done is he's gone and he said, Hey God, give me some advice on this. Tell me what I need to do. And this time, when he asks for instructions from God, God's silent. God's waiting for David, waiting for the reign of David to take over. And, and Saul knows that he's in trouble, and so he hatches a plan. The problem is, he actually did one thing right. I'm sure he did more than that. But the scriptures tell us in verse 5 of chapter 28, it says this, Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land. He'd realized that the occult was something that God didn't want to have around, and he had made it illegal for anybody to practice that. Don't call up the dead. Don't mess with that stuff. Don't play with the spirit world. I don't want you to mess around with this. And he had declared that that was out of bounds. But all of a sudden, Saul needed, in his mind, wisdom from God. He wanted it. But he identified it as a need, and as soon as he did, how he was going to get that advice didn't matter anymore. And we find that in verse 8, he puts on a disguise. He goes and meets with um, a woman who's practiced this in the past. And he says to her, Consult a spirit for me, and bring up for me the one who I name. And she argues with him. I can't do this. Saul has said I shouldn't do this. He's like, it's okay. You can do it this one time. It won't be a big deal. She, she calls up Samuel. That's who Saul has picked. He wants to talk to the prophet Samuel, who used to give him advice before. And as soon as Samuel is called up from the dead, it's revealed that this is King Saul. This is Samuel. This, she's, she's in a world of hurt. Because this is the guy who's outlawed this. And she's like, entrapment! You've entrapped me! And he goes, don't worry about it. Basically, I set the laws, I'm going to ignore the laws. Why? Because I need this advice. I, I need this advice. I'm going to disregard what God has said. I'm going to even disregard the commands that I have said. That I want this gone. And it, for me now, because it's a need, it's okay. Samuel gets called up, starts a conversation with Saul. And part of his conversation is, why in the world did you do this, Saul? And Saul answers in verse 15. He says this, I am in great distress. I'm in great distress. Th those words right there are some of the most honest and true words that Saul has ever spoken. And I think this is why he made his choice. To say that this is a need. I'm not going to consider if this is, honors God or not. I'm not going to consider if this is right or good. I'm not going to consider if I should do this or not. I'm not going to evaluate it all. It's a need because I'm in distress. And I can tell you right now from conversations with people that when they become distressed, when they're making a decision based on anger, uh, I actually made a whole list. I'm making a decision based on anger. 
or fear or anxiety or when they've compared themselves to somebody else and they feel like they're lacking, when they have hate or depression, when those kind of things become the motive behind your want, you will quickly move that thing into a need. And the motive that you're carrying is what reveals that you've just done something toxic to your life. Because no longer are you doing it out of a desire to honor God. No longer is that want something that God gives you as a gift. You're doing it because you have insecurity. You're doing it because you're angry. You're doing it because you're jealous. And that added element causes you to see a need where in fact it's a want. And the problem is, if you identify it as a need, there's no discussion with God. There's no evaluation. You will quickly run to it. You will embrace it. And it will ensnare your life. This, this is a little lie that we're comfortable with because so many of us have it. I mean, we, it's there in small ways. I, I've joked about it too. I'm not down on you for that. I just want to warn you that if you're not careful you'll start using that little evaluation of I need in bigger areas that will undermine your whole life. You'll feel like you can never be satisfied. You can never enjoy where you're at. And it's because there's motives that are driving that dissatisfaction, that need. And it's going to harm your life. Have, have you considered that maybe... There's a choice that you're making right now that you're following with your life that you believed was a need for a while that maybe it's not. Maybe it's a want in disguise. And you should step back and evaluate, does this really honor God's heart? Is this what I should do? Is this how I should use my time? Is this how I should use my energy? And based on that, you make a decision that honors Almighty God. Your needs are narrow. We don't have that many. Our wants are wide. Are you being careful that you're not misidentifying because that little white lie could really scar your life? Let me pray with you. God, this, uh, this is sometimes difficult to wade through because there are needs in our lives. But you've kept them narrow. Yeah, we need to eat. Uh, we need shelter. We need love. We need peace. God, you become the primary source for all of these things in our lives. Uh, you tell us that you watch over sparrows. You'll watch over us. And yet what we have become accustomed to in our culture is identifying a much broader thing, much broader scope of things in our lives as needs. And when they're needs, we'll do anything to fulfill them. We'll do anything to chase them. And God, we do it with our futures. We do it with our emotions. We do it with our money. 
And I ask that you would give us the courage to be honest and say, really, this is not a need, this is a want. And if it's a want, then I need to have a conversation with Almighty God about whether He's placed this want in my life so that I could experience something good. Like, is this a gift? Or is this want going to be damaging to me and I'm going to discard it? God, we love you. We don't want to find that our lives are spent on these little white lies. So give us the courage to be honest, to evaluate, and to make decisions based on our lives honoring you. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen.